people would see the work and whatever and reach out and say, oh, dear brother, um, great, I can see you're a good designer. I've got this idea. I want to start a matrimonial site where you can find a, a wife, you know, through it or find a spouse. And I'll tell you what, if you design... <laughs> I see a, where this is going. <laughs> if, you find, if you design a site for me, I'll help you find a wife. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> like... From Toledo Society, I'm Mohammed Zaud, and this is the Transit Lounge, where we track the journeys of people who are having a considerable impact on the Muslim world. Today on the show, Peter Gould, design extraordinaire and co-founder and DEO of Zilij. You know, in life, you're often faced with two alternative and, and sometimes competing paths. To work your way up the ladder of an existing organization, in which case you learn from those around you and you also get to test things with other people's money. The other way to grow is to set up your own shop and go out on your own and bite the bullet. That's the real tough way because it requires serious business acumen, personal branding and, and sheer relentlessness. Our guest today is none other than Peter Gould. He's no stranger to the Muslim conference or media scene. In fact, I first got to understand the full power of his personal brand when I was at the World Halal Forum in KL in 2012. I've tracked his journey fairly intimately since. This interview was recorded in Peter's home in Kyle Bay in Sydney. Such a serene neighborhood befitting only a creative of Peter's caliber. Unlike most interviews you've heard this season on the Transit Lounge, we took it real easy here. We had the fireplace going, birds chirping in the backyard, and the coffee machine working overtime. We actually spoke for about an hour and a half, but I've limited this edit of the interview to two important facets of Peter's life. His spiritual journey, A, and B, his journey just prior to his current work on Zalij. You'll hear a lot in the press about Peter's current work in Zalij, you know, Muslim children's toys and dolls, educational games. And as you read and buy from Zalij, take a moment to consider the decade prior to Zalij. That decade that led Peter's path to building a genuinely scalable business in the Muslim world. Enjoy the discussion. I have to say, I wasn't really fully aware of, um, I don't remember really thinking about religion and faith and God much at all, you know, as, as a kid and, and even in his teenage years. I kind of think I, I got most of my religion from The Simpsons where, you know, they would kind of make fun of <laughs> God as this angry old man kind of figure. So that was sort of the prevailing, I guess, pop culture sort of approach to things. And it wasn't until later when I actually had bigger questions that I started doing that. And um, so when you're... When your family looks you up on, say, YouTube or one of the, you know, magazines in Dubai and they see you alongside Mohammed Rashid Maktoum, the ruler of Dubai, <laughs> receiving <laughs> the like, award what did we for... Do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm sure they wouldn't have expected it, but yeah. um, what's, what's their response yeah. to have a son who yeah. was not born Muslim but yeah. has become a design icon in the Muslim world and, yeah. and, and arguably the, the number one designer in the Muslim world. Yeah. No, no, God bless them. They're, they're, um, just, I'm very blessed. I'm very, very lucky to have, you know, great parents and, uh, you know, probably still scratching their head about <laughs> how this all happened. But, um, yeah, it was quite a journey. And what I sort of like to think is that, you know, everyone, you know, whether they're born Muslim or not, or whatever faith background that might be, they have to go through a, a series of personal questions at some point to really decide, you know, do I believe in this stuff? Is this real? Do, you know, do I believe there is some, you know, ultimate force in the universe controlling everything? And uh, I had those series of questions kind of prompted to me 
um, over a couple of years in my late teens. And in particular, I got to know a Muslim family. And uh, I guess I wouldn't, wasn't looking specifically around Islam, but specifically around like, well, what does this all mean? And like, how is it that I'm born here with all these great blessings and opportunities that, but you know, someone born elsewhere hasn't? And, and, you know, questions around my own existence and all sorts of things like that, that period. And I was at university, so you're reading and thinking big and sure. thinking of all these, you know. So there was a girl and, you know, I was kind of interested in her, you know, being, okay. being the, my young 18 year old Peter. And, um, I was asking things like, well, you believe in God, but I mean, what does your book say about dinosaurs, for example, <laughs> you know, and like I have these random questions and they would have to, she'd have to go away and figure that out because she may not necessarily know. Off the yeah, top fair of enough. And so we entered this kind of very interesting discourse around me, like having questions, probably in a very kind of condescending way, like as if you believe in like a religion, come on, like it's 2002, who believes in religion? Like, you know, that was sort of my approach. And um, in the end, I went on this discovery process where I'm like, you know what? Wow, this actually answers so many of the questions that I have. And I really feel that there is something more to my existence than just being a series of atoms and chemicals and just, you know, walking bones and, and bioorganisms. There's something more. And that, you know, going through the path of exploring faith and then Islam answered a lot of those questions, you know, in a way that I never would have imagined, in a very deep way, but also a very simple way. I also then went off on my own journey and, and started, you know, going to lectures. I started reading, um, you know, in amongst my guitar and graphic design magazines, you would find, you know, a copy of the Quran or you'd find, you know, Idiot's Guide to Islam or you'd find me, you know, reading books and Martin sure. Ling's and whatever. Sometimes sure. it's simply a feeling, it's an intuition, it's an understanding, it's an opening or, you know, a blessing you have where you just feel this is the right thing. And I had that with, I had that with Islam. And you later married that person. That's that right. Introduced yeah. you to there, Islam. There you go. There's your big creative <laughs> reveal. <Da -da. laughs> humbly lie. Yeah. So I got, um, I got a really good deal. I got, uh, <laughs> humbly, I got my, um. So she clearly knew the answer to the dinosaur question, <laughs> yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, humbly lie. I kept having those questions, but. If I look back at your life, you know, and read up on your biography and, mm -hmm. and speak to people who know you and, and having known you for the last decade or so, mm. um, I'd say there were two major aspects of your life that mm -hmm. are very, very public. Mm -hmm. First one are all the Muslim projects you were involved in. Mm -hmm. And we're going to talk more about that, like Creative Ummah, mm -hmm. Islam Imagined, Muslim Gift Guide. Mm -hmm. um, and then business. Yeah. Um, your design agency. Yeah. Uh, let's start with the design agency because mm -hmm. after university, I assume you set up... Uh, a design agency called Creative Cubed. Yeah, yeah. Um, and through that, you had uh, a whole array of of, uh, of clients. Yeah. Some of those clients include some of the biggest, you know, icons in the Muslim world, such mm -hmm. as Sami Yusuf, Yusuf Islam. Mm -hmm. um, and you also have some fairly solid uh, mainstream clients like Colgate Palmolive, Emirates mm -hmm. Park Zoo, Sony. Mm -hmm. um, was it difficult to set that up? Very early on when I was just, you know, freelancing out of my house. Um, I asked someone who was very senior at the end of their career, not not in creative, but just in, in something else. I said, "How do you? How do you've had a long, successful career? How do you, you know, keep? How do you keep growing business? How do you do it for so long?" And they said, just very simply, like, "Look after people. It's about people." And it's it resonated so quickly. It's like, yeah, that's that's very simple. You just you get to know people individually. You know, you build relationships with them. Um, you know, you put your best foot forward, you be the first one proactively to help or be, you know, be at, at someone else's service and you do a good job. And it's pretty simple. 
And I started doing that, you know, within, you know, my media, you know, circles and community. I didn't have ever any background in business or in, you know, I didn't have any sort of leg up in terms of like, oh, here's a quick, you know, come and join us at this big studio. I didn't really know any of that. I just started at, you know, individual by individual. And over time, I think as I became aware of the Muslim community and understanding, um, wow, okay, look at all these different pockets in Muslim communities in Australia and all these different kind of groups and they came to know about me. They were like, oh, we need, we need a website. Or, hey, you know, um, we've heard of these things coming out called the iPhone and we, we, apparently we need an app now. Can you do apps? And, and over time, I just started to um, grow and learn and build a team around that. And, and one by one, just, you know, keep um, trying to be at people's service and trying to do a good job. Um, so, I mean, there are many paths to becoming a successful designer. Mm -hmm. Some would argue getting a job in a good creative agency mm -hmm. and then working your way up the ladder yeah. is, is one you know pretty definite way to become a really good designer. Uh, another way, which is a lot more difficult, mm. is setting up your own agency. Yeah. Um, and you talked about building people and mm -hmm. building uh, a team around you, yeah. uh, which in, in the services space is probably the most difficult because it's all about it's all about the people yeah there's no product how difficult was that and uh, what was the process in setting up mm -hmm. uh, you know a fairly decent medium-sized agency in Sydney yep well it had very humble origins I remember um, you know I didn't have an office so you know I was working um, you know at home in effectively my garage and or bedroom somewhere and at some point though I did um, manage to take an office for example in, in the city and I, I bartered some you know some work to get the space for sure. example very simple ways of doing it. and then because of where that office was um, the people coming in got to know me and they you know had access and I ended up one of my first big projects was for a really big franchise here in, in Sydney and, and at the time I was like of course I do that work yeah I'll help you no problem and then literally staying up night after night sleeping in the office sleeping under the boardroom um, and then the, you know coming in you know the client comes in Friday morning you're all like bleary eyed and like black uh, eyes and okay so here's the website concept and like oh this is good and I'm like you know, you just wing it. <laughs> and yeah. I, I probably because of, uh, you know, my age as well, I was just, you know, really hungry to prove myself and like just really try and make this thing. Fake work. it until you make it, the good Aussie way. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it was a lot of that. And it kind of worked. And um, like you said, it's just how, how do you keep, how do you sustain that and and scale it? It's, uh, you got to have, um, I, I guess there was a, a lot of doors open for me. But I kept just, you know, growing and trying and I started travel and I started going to events and I started going to meet people and share, share my work and, and, and learn from others. And, and because I think in Australia where I was, there, there's relatively smaller Muslim community and definitely yeah. a smaller creative Muslim or creative professional population was very, very small at that time. Meaning, um, it's not like I had all these people around me. I could just go and hang out. It's like, hey, how do you build clients or how do you work for... A, you know, Muslim charity, but make it sustainable for Absolutely, you and them. Yeah. All these questions, I, I didn't really know, but I was able to fund my own travel to different places, and you know, to US and UK, and um, you know, places like Malaysia, get to know people. So I think, in hindsight, it was a blessing being based in Australia, because if I was in London, for example, there, there's a million Muslims in London, and there's already all these well-established types of um, businesses that I could have mm -hmm. kind of gone in with. So it was just having to 
step by step, fail and, and, and experiment your way through this whole global. So it seemed to me that um, fairly quickly after you became Muslim, you identified very much with the Australian Muslim community. Um, a lot of them were your clients, and you were speaking at you know events locally and globally in in a Muslim space. Mm-hmm. And working in that Muslim environment comes with its own challenges. Like being a, a good brand consultant is difficult enough, especially yeah. in the services industry. Yeah. Being a Muslim brand consultant, mm. Muslim designer uh, is even more difficult because mm. you're usually um, working with small to medium sized businesses. Mm-hmm. There's cash flow issues, people asking for favors. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. uh, how about you design a poster in exchange for some burgers instead? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I have in? stories, bro. <laughs> My favorite one of those was uh, like not exaggerating was um, so we exactly right. I mean that that's the challenge. Is, you know, there's a sort of the free sabili la model where everyone's like, you know, like oh, can you just do this because you know it'll help some person it's like sure but you know you wouldn't ask that to a, a doctor or someone yeah, would you, right? yeah. <laughs> so you know and this is this is not limited to Muslim curies by the way this is a creative industry sort of you know, sure. running joke and so that's comforting but my favorite one of those was um you know so I'd get these inquiries online people would see the work and whatever and reach out and say oh dear brother um Great, I can see you're a good designer. I've got this idea. I want to start a matrimonial site where you can find a, a wife, you know, through it or find a spouse. And I'll tell you what, if you design... <laughs> I see where this is going. <laughs> if, you find, if you design a site for me, I'll help you find a wife. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, did you read my bio? It clearly says happily married. <laughs> um, but he probably did read that and go, oh, well, you know, you've still it's, got extra slots There's another three slots, mate. <laughs> I was like, oh dear. So, yeah, uh, every version. Try to explain of, that to your non-Muslim family. Oh you know? God, I know, I know. It's um, happy. My one slot is uh, very happily taken. But in all seriousness, how did you um, how did you manage that? Like, I'm sure many mm. people tried to ask for yeah. free services. Yeah. Um, how did you graduate from that environment yeah. to charging, you know, fairly solid prices yeah. and getting also mainstream brands? Yeah, I think it really took it took ten years. It really took a decade um, of just you know being consistent and being driven and having multiple circles of work. So I had a, you know a lot of mainstream work for you know things that are I haven't really put or shared, but you know for local. Um, councils and governments and private clients and you know lots of like not particularly exciting work but just you know you'd call bread and butter type design work and because I had this you know we were building a good name for ourselves as a team you know we're a small team by that point we would um, it would enable me to sort of I guess do kind of more community projects um, more easily where I I just know they wouldn't have budgets to do the things that um, we would normally do but I try to always balance that and, and keep, because you got to keep the value for design. You're also trying to be an advocate for the value of design Absolutely, yeah. and not just be like, sure, I'll do, you know, 50 hours of work for nothing. Um, but also show the value. And as you have that effect where you see clearly the brands that invest in design in Muslim communities and they really were, they stand out at that, you know, the standard was pretty low. The understanding sure. was low. So that started speaking for itself and people did recognize. And, and to be honest, I, I think the reputation of, all these people with, you know, the free CBLA effect and whatever, I didn't experience it as bad as we like to joke about it. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I, I found relatively on the whole, a lot of the people coming, um, they genuinely understood that, um, okay, they need, we don't quite know what these guys do. We don't really understand graphic design and marketing, but we know we need something like that. Sure. So, uh, Hamla was, it was actually, you know, a pretty good journey with a few bumps on the way. And design services are fairly difficult to scale um, because... Mm-hmm. Uh, when when people come to Gould.Sydney, mm-hmm. you know they're they're expecting Peter Gould. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, 
So uh, unless you're really heavily involved in the project, mm -hmm. are they willing to spend as much uh, with your agency? And so my question to you is, mm -hmm. um, how do you scale your brand? Yeah. So it's something that you've, you've got to continually reinvent yourself and un have a really good pulse of what, what is happening in your sectors and, and having in the creative industry. So for example, you know, massive change from when I first kicked off in, you know, early 2000s to even 10 years later. Or, you know, today, for example, if you ask a small business or, you know, a startup, where do you go for just graphic design? You know, they, many of them will think, oh, I go online 99 designs or I go, I use a cool tool like Canva or, or Sketch or yeah. exactly. Yeah. There's lots of things. Back then, you can imagine that wasn't possible. So people would have to go to someone like myself saying, oh, can you design this? And there was a, it was just a different time. And if I had have not grown and continually changed year after year and embrace, you know, the new changes, the technologies and client expectations, you know, we would have, we would have stopped years ago. Sure. So it's continually being aware of where the value is. And in the last few years, for me, that's having much more investing in an understanding of strategic design. So, you know, I did a two year course at Stanford in innovation and entrepreneurship. I learned what are the tools that um, the big companies like IDEO use around design thinking, strategic, uh, things like, you know, uh, understanding business model canvases, how do startups work? What's the role of design in innovation that's all these great companies around the world are, are leading and bringing that back into the studio. So it's not always just scaling, but it's, it's being ahead of, um, not letting your services become a commodity, but always, you know, becoming someone that's investing in understanding the value of design and what that, the results and the impact that you can get sure. from, from having that. Um, and then looking back on your design career, design specifically, and your design mm -hmm. agencies that you built mm -hmm. very successfully, um, would you have done anything differently in hindsight? Yeah, um, you know, it's always it's always so easy to, to think of, of course, think yeah. think that. Like, you know, I, honestly, I, 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 it's probably not fair to say that. I, I I don't know if I could have done too much differently. I mean, at the time, you're trying to do a lot. You're trying to, um, you know, grow a young family. You're trying to, you know, hire and build a you know team. You're trying to promote your services around the world. You're trying to continue your artistic integrity. So experiment with photography and design and do shows. So I feel like this incredible amount of things are happening. And really, like if you if you look through the world. With the faith-based sort of lens like you know people like us do you, you really see that you know Allah is bringing the barakah he's you know Allah you know God is creating these opportunities he's opening the doors and you just have to you know have a good intention good need, and, and go go through those things with you know with a good intention to do them well and do, do them right and uh, I just I don't think I would have you know changed a lot I, I think probably what I one one sort of part of that journey is I honestly felt like I was, I probably at a few points became too self-important. So I actually sort of started to think of myself as like, oh, I'm this kind of hotshot Muslim designer and look, I'm doing for mm. all this kind of work for these big names and look, I'm hanging out with all these people and, and really like, come on, man, like you're not doing anything. You're, you know, Allah's opening all these doors. You just turn up and look what sure. happens. So, and this is the age of social media, of course. So I, I did probably a lot. It would, of it would have been a tough realization as, as someone so, you know, entrenched in branding and mm. personal branding and knowing yeah. the importance of getting your name out there, that would yeah. have been a tough realization. Yeah, well, I was, I was lucky to have some, you know, f friends around me on that journey that I think were instrumental in probably, you know, just th through monitoring my social media. I mean, Facebook was fairly new and you know, Instagram wasn't really around and or it was coming on. And, you know, it was people were still get, coming to terms with social media. And I was just, I guess, fortunate or unfortunate the timing was that people were just you know, experimenting with social media. So it's very easy to start um, sharing like, oh, here I am here. Look what I'm doing here. Um, oh, look who I'm with now. 
and selfies were a new thing. And um, I just, yeah, I probably would have made changes where I felt like, well, hang on, like the whole reason you came to this faith, let's take a fresh look at it. Let's look, let's put things in perspective. Um, and as I came deeper into the faith, realizing that a core part of that is you have to really remove your ego as much as you can. And you have to, in fact, just completely separate your your achievements from really like thinking that it's from your own doing and planning and strategy work. So how do you reconcile that? Like I fully get that, you mm. know, the need to be humble and appreciate that mm-hmm. everything that's good comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And, mm. But you also need to make a living and you also need to promote your services yeah. and your own personal brand. And, yeah. you know, of all, you know, Muslim designers and mm. Muslim creatives in general. Yeah. I'd say you've built the most solid personal brand mm. globally uh, as Peter Gould, the designer. If you don't mind me asking, and humility aside, yeah. Um, yeah. what did it take to build that brand? Yeah, the word that branding people always use, it's still the right word, is, is authentic. Like, don't try to, you know, create this um, persona around you or, or fakeness that is not there. I mean, even though I was, uh, I guess, probably promoting a lot and sharing a lot through, you know, over years, um, you know, those were the things that were happening and, and being able to um, share the work that we were doing, great projects and great projects create o- openings for other great projects. Sure. And, you know, you do something really good for some well-known Muslims and that gets seen and shared and then another door is kind of open. So I was very fortunate that there was all this humble association with great projects and good people. And I was really trying hard to um, deliver well and just consistently do do good projects and and be involved and I was loving the work and you know alhamdulillah it was just it was just a whole journey of I guess one working for others but then soon there was part of me that wanted to go back to um, well especially once I had kids I felt like well there's some real gaps there's some real things missing that I would love to see in sure. the world and that's probably opens up the new chapter of like well I should start you know designing for real needs not just um, other businesses but looking internally absolutely um, before we get into those Muslim projects um, yeah. that you mentioned uh, just just one point on, on personal branding yeah um, sure like you have some really good Muslim clients and then they share um, your work and, and then they connect you with others but yeah. uh, seldom do you meet someone as good a networker as Peter Gould <laughs> Um, that sounds like it sounds cringeworthy to say networker, but I mean it's a fair term, right? Yeah, I mean it's for the lack it, of a, of a better yeah, better term. Yeah, yeah like yeah. you are, you know, you're there's there's seven degrees of separation, <laughs> and then there's Gould's, you know, two degree rule. Mashallah. Like I'm sure I can reach any you know Muslim mover and shaker through through your contact list. Mashallah, that's, uh, that's very generous. It's pro- probably not quite true, but Mashallah, it. Uh, I think going back to early on, where I had to travel a lot, and I had to just go, and I, I had this quest to find people and inspiration and, and learn and and just get to know and. It, it was consistently like, you know, it'd be honestly like paying a lot of money to fly to the US and, you know, book a stall and go to a big event and set up a stall, you know, in the middle of the night, jet lagged and And what meet was the people. end in mind? Like, like, did you, like you would have spent from, from Australia, it's $2,000 yeah. from anywhere. Yeah. And so yeah, you yeah. would have spent three or $4,000 to go to yeah. a conference in the US. What was the yeah. end in mind? Well, I mean, for, for years, I mean, it wasn't really profitable. I was, I mean, humble, I was sustainable and paying, you know, wages and things like that. But I would invest all the money back into doing events and going 
going out into the world and meeting and doing exhibitions or, you know, going to exhibitions or going to uh, trade shows or conferences and, and doing talks and paying my own way for years, right? And that was expensive. And of course, I loved it and I loved the learning and the company, you know, sahba, the people around you that inspire you and make you be better. I needed that coming from Australia. It felt very dry <laughs> for a long time. Uh, the end in mind, you know, I'm not sure I was super laser focused on that, but I knew, you know, from, from one part of the spectrum is like, you need sustainable work for your company. You know, sure. you need to meet, you know, clients, you need to get, meet people and show, Hey, look, we're a design company. And, you know, we also have, you know, this strong Islamic kind of understanding. And there weren't too many people actively talking about that, you know, some, some years ago. Now there's, there's many, mashallah. So it was the, I guess I called quote unquote, this network or just groups of relationships just came through being active, you know, travel, going to meet people. And of course, after some time, it starts to switch where you get invited and you get asked and you get requests rather than just always putting yourself out there. But you can't just kind of turn up and expect people to find you and, and, and call you over and do a talk. It took some years. And in fact, I'd still say probably a decade before, you know, Hamdullah was starting to you know, get requests to, you know, come and do a project for the prime minister or doing different things. It took, took time. Great. So during your design career, you would have been exposed to a lot of opportunities. Mm. I'm sure there are many sheikhs in, in, in the GCC that would have tapped you on the shoulder and say, become my, you know, personal uh, designer or, you know, companies that would have loved to employ your services full time. Uh, many Muslims who have great ideas who would have wanted you to, to be part of their project so, so you can become the chief you know, design officer or whatnot. How did you manage all of those requests uh, with your own ambitions? Um, you, you were involved in setting up quite a few brands uh, for Generation M, uh, like Creative Ummah, which you launched in Dubai in 2014, or Islam Imagined, or the Muslim Gift Guide, Kids of the Ummah app. Like there are so many projects, I'm sure they're just a, just a few of them. Uh, was that a matter of uh, setting up a couple of projects you were passionate about, hoping that one flies? Or did you have an objective in setting these up? So... I think a lot of those projects um, came about from this, you know, possibly audacity of like, oh, this thing should exist. Why doesn't it exist? Let's set it up. Let's do it, team. Let's build something. <laughs> and, you know, uh, in hindsight, I probably should have been a lot more strategic about all these experiments to, you know, to think them through and, and design them better. But, you know, no regrets. Like, you know, it was, it was you know, probably from about 2009 or 10, well, really up until now, I started to not just do, you know, client work, but actually as a team, I started to, you know, invest our studio time into developing, you know, products and projects and websites and apps where just to answer, help, you know, fill these gaps. So for example, with, you know, with my kids, um, I felt like, where are all the cool Muslim apps or where are all the cool Muslim like toys there, you know, there's like one or two and they're all like super, super religious and not necessarily like fun and cool. And that became this trend of like, well, we can just start building and experimenting and trying things out. And we've got the means and we've been doing it for clients for 10 years. Let's start doing it. So what became, I think, is the culture of within our team um, becoming very entrepreneurial and sure. trying ideas. And, you know, we had um, enough experience by then to to try things out. And definitely most of them commercially wouldn't. I mean, commercially, they're, they're, they're failures if you were looking at them from a sort of just straight up financial impact point of view. But absolutely each one led to something else and bigger and better and it was learning 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 and i notice now the best and biggest design studios in the world 
even actually the smallest and definitely in the Islamic economy now, they don't just do consulting. They also all have their own in-house projects or sure. products they're kicking off. So they might do client work, but they're kicking off one. And then that culture becomes this cycle where you're always learning things and that attracts new client work of the same time, you know, and then that, you know, in turn, you, you know, the learning and that led to sort of the next chapter. So if, now. If, if there was one project that hasn't, uh, quite succeeded as much as you would have loved. Yeah. Uh, that you would love to see <laughs> become like the next big thing yeah. since Meherzain, you know. <laughs> uh, what yeah. would it be? Well, you know, there's been lots of fun little experiments. I'll talk about two briefly, okay? Sure. So one um, was just one I, I love and Hamla still is, is loved by, you know, and pockets of people around called Islam Imagined. Sure. And this came about from, I've always, uh, since university, been fascinated with reading about the future and trying to really embrace um, the technology and the potential of what's coming. So, you know, and reading about things like the singularity and all these things that are, you know, apparently supposed to come and, you know, change everything. And I thought, well, we need to get Muslims actively thinking and being creative and embracing design and understanding the role of design. And so Islam Imagine is just like a free platform. It's a series of 30 lessons for uh, educators and parents to just learn about all sites of, you know, technology or design and, you know, encourage them to experiment. But they, they have kind of Muslim content or themes in sure. them. So that's a cool one. And I'd love for that to scale more and just share that. And the other one, I kind of had this idea one day is like, um, you know, um, this, there's this, you mentioned Generation M, which is a really, uh, great book and, and, you know, sort of movement that, you know, Shalina J. Muhammad in the UK has kind of spearheaded sure. and done a fantastic job capturing, I think, describing the zeitgeist of all these really cool new flourish of Muslim startups and, and ideas coming out. I, I just had this simple idea is like, all this cool stuff is happening. I feel like my team and I are aware of them because many of them reach out to us and they, you know, they contact us and say, oh, how do we, how do, you know, how do we do this or how do we do that? I said, the very least I could do is help share their work to others. So I created this little app called Muslimi and I thought like, well, it's not really necessary Islamic content. It's not really, you know, Muslim specific content. It's sort of Muslimi, right? It's, that's the kind of word, Muslimish, Muslimi. So I had this little fun app we just quickly put together and it's just like yeah, every day you get different tiles and you kind of swipe them through of like, um, what's happening, right? We had all these stuff. It was really fun, but I just didn't devote enough, you know, sort of team resources to, to maintain it and properly do it. So it's kind of on, you know, it's kind of on hold now. It still works. You can still download it and people download it all the time and use it. But, uh, you know, the, the last update was, was some time ago. So I'd love for that to be rebooted, re, um, completely re-embraced. And then, you know, uh, even more so now because there's so much great content coming up. You spoke about Gen M and, you know, building Generation M brands. Mm -hmm. What are the key elements? Mm -hmm. Uh, of building successful brands that uh, resonate with Generation M? Mm -hmm. You know, it's a big question, a great question. I think we're in the very early days of exploring this whole concept around quote-unquote Muslim lifestyle products, things of around the Islamic economy, what are the, the newer generation of products, ideas, brands, experiences for, you know, this this emerging generation of Muslims across the globe. And there are, of course, in all different places and pockets, but there are threads that connect them, you know, and, and that's obviously to do with their Muslim identity and their faith. Sure. That's sort of the common thread. I think um, no one's really sort of, there's not too many amazing examples where I can say, oh, well, that's how you do it. <laughs> that's yeah. the brand to follow. And again, probably maybe a little bit ambitious, but that's the whole 
premise behind the, the big brand that I've you know undertaken in the last year is Allege, which is to try and be a pioneer in creating these really good, fantastic, well-designed, more sophisticated creative experiences um, and products. And uh, that's the idea is like try and be be, be a pioneer in that space um, and then, you know, kind of sure. lift the whole space up together. Don't forget to visit Zalij.com for Peter's latest work. That's Zalij, Z-I-L-E-E-J.com. And on a final note, you do realize, right, that the Transit Lounge is one podcast in a network of podcasts that make up Toledo society. We've currently got another podcast live called Seven Stories, seven minute stories as you drop off your kids to school. Visit us on ToledoSociety.com to find out more.